You're listening to The End Sunday Show. Leaving behind religious obligation to find a more authentic expression of Christ in us. This is The End Sunday Show. And that's our cue, right there. Hey, welcome to the Un Sunday Show with Mike and Mac. And guess what? I am Mike. And I am Mac. And we're both sitting here behind the uh, semi-golden microphones. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. They're, it is gold. Yeah, well, that one, that one piece is, yeah. That's right. kind of what made me think of that. But yeah, here we are on another edition of the Un Sunday Show. And uh, we have that new intro that we just had play. And Sounded great. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to have that. And so we got the new theme song, we got the new intro, uh, all of the above there that we have going. So awesome. the Unsunday show is moving along. Hey, this week we thought we'd talk a little bit about several topics that came up that I, I received a postcard in the mail, and this triggered some things with me. <laughs> I don't know how you're so lucky. You get yeah. postcards like that. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not going to name names or anything or you know ministries or whatever, but I get this postcard in the mail, and on the front there's this guy leaning over this podium with his hand out, you know, and he's like in this position of divine authority or something, you know. It just it just to me it looks bad because I was there, and I think this just looks bad, and it, you know it kind of triggered some things with me. And it it says postcard about this upcoming event to, and it's called preaching with precision and power. Yeah, and I I looked at this thing and I thought, oh man, there is so much wrong with this thing. And so the title, you know, preaching with precision and power, and this guy's like in a power position as he's standing there, you know, looking down at the lowly laity, you know, and that whole clergy laity thing is all over this picture. You know, I've got the power, I've got the authority. You all sit there and listen to me passively, and I'll tell you what's true, I'll tell you what's false, and. You know, then you go home and and then I'll see you next Sunday. It's really sad to see stuff like that. It looks like, you know, they know what they're doing. Yeah. And there's no Jesus. Yeah. Or it's Jesus light. Yeah. You know, missing the power and wonder of him. Yeah. It's it's all about the top down CEO thing within the nonprofit corporation. Uh, that's what the apostles always talked about. They always talked about they were they were coming from the power and of the spirit in them. Their speech was not human wisdom. It was just the revelation of the spirit Christ in them speaking. Yeah. They probably, they probably were amazed by what they were saying themselves. They're like, Whoa, that just <laughs> came out of me. <laughs> this is amazing. But I mean, they were, it's a total different kind of experience. That, that it leaves is. me thinking that I'm not enough. Exactly. Yeah. I look at that and I think, oh, um, yeah, I, I, I need help. Yeah. I, need- I, I can't really know for myself that this guy's got to tell me what. That's how, right. How to know Jesus. Because he's the expert. He's the clergy and he knows. Yeah, exactly. That's what we assume. Because that's the system we've inherited and we don't question it. We don't question why it's that way. And it kind of gives you the impression that Jesus is distant. He's uh, not really knowable. For myself, man, all the stuff that 
it's it's bad. That's really bad for us. It is. It's really unhealthy, and yeah. it's really bad. And having been in that position and having been there for a number of years, you know, I can relate personally to how bad that is. And you know, here we are in this position of power and authority over people, and telling them what they need to believe and what they need to do, and they're never going to be doing enough, and they're never going to be believing right. So I need to tell them more and more. Earlier today, I forwarded you an article that a listener had sent to me about an Acts 29 group in, uh, in the UK, the Crowded House. And this is in Christianity Today. And next week, Lord willing, we're going to go through that article together and kind of interact with it. But it's a whole thing of, you know, the, the abuse of power. I mean, people only have power over you within the assembly, within the church. People only have power over you to the extent that you allow them to have power over you. Yeah, Jesus very specifically said that in the assembly, in the ecclesia, that this power struggle isn't to be. He said that's how the world operates. That's how the Gentiles operate, those outside of the people of God. That's, how, that's what they do. It's a scramble for the top. It's a CEO top-down authority. It's, it's I'm in charge and you're not, and so you listen to me or there'll be consequences. Jesus said it's not to be that way among you, but whosoever would be great among you must be the servant of all. Well, we don't see that a lot in corporate church. We see the power struggle going on. We see those in charge with the power struggling to keep the power in order to exercise it over the people. And that whole clergy lady thing comes in. And then, you know, we have the issue of honorific titles. And like this postcard was addressed to me. It said, Reverend and Mrs. Michael Adams. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rev. I, you know, I was disappointed it didn't say most reverend. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you know, it's, a, it's the honorific title thing that separates you out. Yeah, I don't understand the attraction, or I, I guess one thing is I don't understand how they could think that they would be able to have that kind of control over people, but I know it happens. People oh, do yeah. give it up. But I just, that's surprising to me that they would think they have that kind of control, especially this day and age, when anything can be questioned. As my buddy always says, Greg, Google it. <laughs> I, you know, I go to the Google, I Google it, and I can find out about something and and know whether somebody is really telling me the truth. Of course, not always everything you find on Google is true, also. Right, but, right. But I'm just surprised that people would give up that much control over their lives to somebody in a pulpit. Yeah, exactly. Because that's what we're conditioned to, Greg. I'll tell you this, church has trained the ecclesia out of us. We, you know, if the pastor doesn't show up on a Sunday, we don't know what to do. We're, we're kind of lost. I mean, if he calls in and ahead of time and it arranges some kind of a, a thing, but we're so pastor-centered. And this isn't a slam against those with shepherding gifts. That's not what I'm doing. It's a system I want to address. We're so pastor-centered that we don't know how to function without that person. And if that person just doesn't show up on a Sunday, what do you do? Well, you have a mini concert. You know, you, you pull the sermon out of a Sunday morning and you got a mini concert. I mean, let's just be honest. That's what it is. If, it's, if, if there's no lecture, you're just left with music, which can be really good music. Yeah. I'm not coming down on the music either. I'm just saying that there's a system that doesn't promote the Spirit of God working in a person's life freely apart from the system. Yeah. Everything's got to come back to the system. You know, in this in this podcast and previous episodes, I've talked about the centrality of the pulpit. 
I've talked about the centrality of the pastor. You know, why is there a pulpit? And just the dangers of that. You know, you think about, I mean, you see it. We live in the same basic neighborhood. We're a couple miles apart, but we both see it. You know, the sandwich boards go up on Friday night or Friday afternoon or whatever, you know, pointing to the, the building, you know, come in here. Yeah. We're in here. Here's our time. And, you know, a lot of people are okay with that. And that's okay. But those of us that are on a different journey, we start to see the difference. And you start to understand that everything points to the pulpit and ultimately to a sermon being preached. It begins with the signage that point to the building, or it begins with a website that points to the building. This is where we're at right here. We're over here. And then when you get into the building, what's next? Everything points again to the pulpit. You've got the pews or the chairs or whatever, everything's facing the pulpit. So you got the signage pointing ultimately to the pulpit because they want to get you in the building. And then when you get into the building, you've got everything pointing to the pulpit because it's all facing that way. And then you've got, usually you've got the pulpit elevated on some kind of a, a stage or platform, but it's all pastor centric. It's all pulpit centric. But aren't you glad that on the day of Pentecost and Acts 2, no one was scrambling around looking for the pastor? Well, what do we do? What do we do now? We've got the spirit. Spirit came. Where's, where's, where's Pastor Joe? Yeah. You know, and again, I'm not coming down on pastors. I was one for years yeah. and years and years. But it's just a system that's brutal. It, it's a system that doesn't let the ecclesia function. It doesn't let every member function. It lets a few members function while the others watch. It's, well, it's passive in the pews. Well, it, it, it's a substitute for Jesus. Yes. And knowing him, that's what we've been brought into, which is amazing to know him. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, everything is kind of centered around the preaching. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And the teaching. And um, the emphasis is on that. When I read the New Testament, the emphasis is on Jesus. It's on the fact that actually he made a way for me to be in a relationship with him. And he wasn't going to leave us as orphans. He was going to give us his spirit. That would walk us into everything we ever needed to know. I think the system that we call church is an obstacle to growing in grace. You know, we might be able to grow in head knowledge of something if we, you know, if we're learning some truth in scripture or whatever, but growing in grace, you're prohibited in that environment because there's not every member functioning in this environment. Yeah. There's just a few that are functioning. Well, when we open the New Testament, it's very simple. You know, ecclesia what we call church, ecclesia, the assembly, is very simple in its concept. First Corinthians 14, for example. It's just every member contributing with their spiritual gifts. You don't get a chance to do that in the environment that we've created. And so when this card came floating in, <laughs> all these, you know, all these triggers started going off. And on the back of this card, you know, there's this quote. It says, expository preaching begins with a return to the primacy or primacy, primacy, I think it's primacy. Expository preaching begins with a return to the primacy, exclusivity, and authority of the Word of God. Which, what he probably is referring to is the Scriptures. Yeah, the Bible. When I think of the Word of God, I think of Jesus. Yes. That's, to me, who the Word of God is. 
Not it's not only Jesus. yeah, not only to you, but I think to the New Testament, that's who the Word of God is. Yeah, and where I grow is in that relationship, in knowing Him and hearing His voice in me, and Him guiding me in my life. That's why I'm not an orphan. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, I have Christ in me. That's right. And you know, <laughs> yeah, I'll not leave you as orphans. Yeah, I feel like an orphan. When I'm dependent on somebody else to tell me how to do it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, when the Holy Spirit's in you, you know, you think of passages like, I think we talked about last week, you know, where John said, you don't have any any need that anyone teach you. It wasn't that he was saying there aren't any teachers in the assembly. He's just saying, you've got the Holy Spirit who's your resident truth teacher. He's inside you. He's in there. And when I look at stuff like on this postcard and I see this guy's, you know, position there, standing there in this, you know, position of authority, I think about... Is it third John or John labeled this guy or na- named this guy and said he loves to have the preeminence? You know, he wasn't saying that was a good thing. Yeah. He was saying that was a bad thing. This guy loves to have the preeminence. And I got to tell you from personal experience, when you're in a position of pastoring in an environment that gives you this authority and gives you kind of the central you know, makes you the central figure within the church. When you're in that kind of environment, there's no way you cannot become proud on some level. It just doesn't happen. Wow. I look back at those years and I can see that there were moments where I was just proud to be what I was called to be in that environment, which was the pastor. You know, it just, it feeds that kind of stuff. And then you add stuff onto it like this, you know, expository preaching and, you know, the Word of God. I mean, you know, Paul told the Thessalonians in, uh, let me look here where it was, First Thessalonians 2.13, he said that he was so thankful for the Thessalonian believers because he said when they received the gospel, they didn't receive it as the Word of men, but they received it as it really is, he said, the Word of God. And that's one example of the phrase Word of God in the New Testament. We've talked about that. I've talked about this on the Sunday show several times. The phrase the Word of God is never used to describe Scripture or to describe the Bible. It's never used that way in the New Testament. It's always used in one of two ways depending on context. It's either used to talk about Jesus, like was it Revelation 19 something where, you know, Jesus is coming back on that white horse and and uh, the vision that John gets is, you know, his name is called the Word of God. Ooh, that's kind of clear. Here's Jesus coming back, and his name is called the Word of God. You think of, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, you know. And Jesus, that's a title for Jesus. That's one context. Another way that that phrase is used is like there in First Corinthians, or First Thessalonians 2 that I just, you know, referenced is that it's another way that it's used. It's used about the message about Jesus. Either way, it gets back to Jesus. It's either talking about the gospel, which is the message of Jesus, or it's talking about Jesus, who is Jesus. Either way, it's Jesus. But we've taken this thing, the Word of God, and we've turned it into what we view as the Bible, and we come up with things like this, that I have to be on Sunday morning or whenever, the whole culture has to be, the pinnacle of the week has to be, this expository preaching from the Bible because we've turned it into the Word of God and it's all that that implies. We've elevated the Bible above Jesus in yeah. so many ways. And then, and then what happens is that 
you have to have an education to be able to read the scriptures yeah. and expand on it. When you make that the word of God instead of Jesus himself, and now <clears throat> I'm being removed from knowing and being in a relationship with him to be independent on somebody else to speak to me the word of God. If you're assuming that the word of God is the scriptures. Right. And so now I'm dependent on somebody else. I've got now I've got an intermediator who's going to actually explain to me what God's well, what Jesus is trying to tell me. Yeah, so you got to because I I, yeah. I can't know Jesus for myself. So I got to hear somebody else with tell me what Jesus is saying with so, the education. So Jesus is speaking French. I don't know French, <laughs> and so now I've got this French guy who uh, interprets. That's the pastor, and so he's going to tell me what Jesus is saying. Interpret so I can hear it in English, and so now I know what Jesus is trying to tell me. It, it keeps you dependent on that person. Oh, absolutely. Or on that system. I mean, that's church history. Yeah. Church history is replete with that. You know, the the dark ages and all, you know, everything that went on where nobody had to, had scripture in their language, there was so much illiteracy, and ultimately the Latin Vulgate became what the uh, Sunday morning messages or sermons were all about. Yeah. But nobody understood Latin. They didn't know what was going on, and so yeah. they had to depend on this person up there telling him, telling them what was true and what isn't. We haven't moved very far away from that. No, not at all. It's just a lot more hidden. It is, and it's it's assumed. It's assumed. Mm-hmm. This quote that expository preaching, you know, just that right there. I mean, there is strong evidence in the New Testament that the preaching that went on had to do with the preaching of the gospel to the lost. Paul said, "I'm anxious." to preach the gospel to you people in Rome, too. That was the whole point, and there's strong evidence that that word, to preach, has more to do in the context that it appears in with reaching the lost for Jesus. I remember that was a big topic of discussion back in the 1970s, and there's a book that was written. I have this book. It's called uh, To Preach or Not to Preach by David Norrington. And it's a good discussion about, okay, what is preaching in the New Testament? Is it something behind a pulpit that's done expositorily, or is it something that's related more to taking the gospel to those that don't know Jesus? And it's a really good conversation within that book. And again, it's called To Preach or Not To Preach. We've taken that thing and packaged it and put it behind a pulpit. And we insert ourselves back into scriptures that talk about, you know, preaching. And in my opinion, we take what we know in our culture, in our day, our experience, and we insert ourselves back into Scripture in places we don't belong. And we say, well, this is what we know, so this is what must have been happening back there, back then. But that isn't what was happening back then. There are no sermons in the New Testament. I know we called you know, Matthew 5 through 7 the Sermon on the Mount, but it wasn't a sermon. Nobody there was calling it that. It wasn't like a modern sermon. Jesus was sitting on a mountainside with a whole bunch of people, and probably the only ones that really heard him, heard him clearly were those close enough within earshot. Well, unfortunately, if you have certain type of, well, you do, you have certain denominations and you have certain seminaries, and they all have a systematic way of looking at Scripture and interpreting Scripture. And so now you get their version of what they think it's saying, and it's, it's compounded because then they interpret everything based on that view. Right. 
And the church, uh, when we get together, and and, and actually a church isn't really going to be a real experience of a church if everybody is not experiencing the spirit. Because isn't the church really a spiritual reality? It's yes. not... It's not some we can't we can't create church, and we could call it ecclesia. Maybe a little <laughs> better than, but you you can't. It's not something that we ourselves we don't we don't build it like no. You know, it's not a building. Jesus it's not a, It's it. a spiritual reality, and for it to be a spiritual reality, you would have to have other believers mm-hmm. have the spirit in them. And they're they're experiencing the spirit. They're living from that point, and you come together, and then you would have lots of people there sharing their portion of Christ, what they're seeing, what they're learning about Him, and then you would have a full expression of Christ. And that revelation and the seeing of Jesus and the clarity of who He is would come from a body of believers that are all experiencing Jesus. It would not be coming from just one person. And the problem with that, the system that we have, not only are we just one person trying to explain to us what Jesus is telling us, but he's also corrupted in the sense that he has some theological bent that interprets scripture a certain way based on what he has learned or, you know, the seminary he's been to or something that, that, and, and that's his and then he wants everybody to actually, you know, believe that way. That, yeah. That's just a false expression of who Jesus really is. It, you know, if anything, I would want to express is I'm telling you, it doesn't matter who you are, how much you know, whether you can read or can't read, or how much education or how, how little of education you have. If anything, I think the more education you get, it makes it more difficult to know Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so I just have a BS degree. <laughs> Couldn't Re- tell. I really do, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I just want to empower people to know I don't I don't care who you are or what you've been through, you can know Jesus. That's you right. You can know Jesus for yourself. Apart from and any that's system. Actually what he wants for you. He wants you to know that he wants you to know him. Yeah. Exactly. That's what he came for. Yep. Is so that we could know him. That's the whole, that's the good news. That's exactly we can have right. a relationship with Christ. We can actually be made alive and we go from darkness to light. Right. And as brothers and sisters, it's really healthy for us to come together and all of us are encouraged and are confident that they know Jesus themselves. And then that joy and expression is expressed when we as a body get together and talk about him. That's the best expression of Jesus in the world. Oh my gosh. And then you get a full picture. And, and you know, I can't tell you how much my life has been impacted by other brothers and sisters in Christ that have a relationship with Jesus and they share their experience and while well, the light bulb goes on to me, oh, that's, that's what Jesus, that's, that is, that's what he's like, you know, oh Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that verse over here, that makes sense now to me. Mm-hmm. Cuz that brother sees something there and he shares with me and but if you're just getting I don't know, it's kind of like going to a Sunday morning get one person. Let's say that one person the the uh if you want to kind of make the food analogy, that one guy up front that's preaching, 
the only thing he's giving is Brussels sprouts. That's all, <laughs> that's all he's got, you know? And I'm telling you, it, as good as Brussels sprouts are, after a while, that's all you eat. You're probably going to be... Uh, have gassy. some issues. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, plus that. But you're not getting any protein. You're not getting any steak or chicken. But the problem is down on the front row, if we can say it like that, there is uh, Miss Ella. She's in her 80s, but her Christ is steak. Big, thick steak. But you never hear from Miss Ella. Right. You know, she... Right. And she has she has so much to say. Oh, a so, lot to so say. So much to, to bring to the table to nudge you toward Jesus, but she doesn't get a chance to say it. Uh-uh. Have you ever tried raising your hand on a Sunday morning lecture? Oh, I, I've wanted to, but my wife always holds it down. She won't let you? <laughs> <laughs> so afterwards, sometimes I'll go up and say, hey, brother, what about this or that? But I haven't known too many pastors that open when I do, and I'm not sure I approach it in the best way, but... I come on yeah. a little too strong, but <laughs> that whole I'm like, hey, what do I? Do? But that's the difficult. I I don't like a lecture, right? On a, yeah, I would rather have something that's more of a dialogue. Exactly, exactly. And, I think that I think that's more of a picture of of what the ecclesia is. Is it's interaction. It's yeah. a dialogue. It it isn't. It isn't a one person or a handful of people, kind of a show. You know, and that that preacher up there. Okay, we we use a, the analysis. Of he's just serving Brussels sprouts. Not only is he just serving Brussels sprouts, but the only Brussels sprouts he's serving is the ones that only has a little bit of cheese on them. But there's a lot of ways to make Brussels sprouts taste a lot better. But he only has. Not only does he have just that little piece, but he's only got a little version of that little piece. Right. I can't tell you how unhealthy that is for us. Yeah, it really it is. is unhealthy. It is. We need to be encouraged to know Jesus for ourselves and right. not be dependent on somebody else. And we don't question things like that clergy laity distinction. And again, I've talked about that so many times on this on Sunday show. You know, you can go back to previous episodes and listen specifically to that. But we've we've been told the lie that, you know, there's a clergy and there's a laity and that the clergy, like you said, is is the professional person. In fact, when we when we hire a pastor and we look at the resume, the first thing on the resume is where have you been trained? What's your what's your theological training? You know, we we we've turned this whole deal of of a pastor, of a shepherd within the assembly into a career choice, into a career path. And we pad our resume that way so that it looks better and better and better. And the more education you seem to have, the the more authority we're giving that person who's got the education over everybody within the local church that's going on. Yeah, and so, like you said, education then drives, or I should say, let's let's put it this way: education trumps spiritual giftedness. Well, it trumps the spirit, you know. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it trumps the spirit. It does. Time. Yeah, we don't we don't need the Holy Spirit because we got education, you know. Yeah, and so yeah, well, look it has. at the, the brochure that was sent. What what's the picture? You know, what's it kind of portraying to you? I know. Yeah, authority. I authority. mean, he really knows it. He's got his act together. He's got a suit on. Got a tie. That's right. There's a know. separation thing again. Yeah, you know, it, 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 there's a you know, it's a power and prestige and you know, education is woven into that picture there. It's sad. It is because uh, it's a. Uh, it's real sad, and in the New Testament, there is no clergy laity distinction. There is no us and them. There is no professional versus non-professional. There's no, 
you know, with Scripture, the word laity doesn't appear in the New Testament, but a, a, a real closely related word, laos, does, and it just means the people. And when it's used in the New Testament, in every context that it's used in, when it's talking about, you know, the church, the assembly, it's referring to the entire assembly. Not to a few people in it, but the entire assembly, including the shepherds. And the, the word clergy also appears in the New Testament, but the word clergy, which is the Greek word kleros, actually refers to the entire assembly as well, as God's inheritance. It's referring not to segments within the assembly, but to the entire assembly, when that word appears in the New Testament. Again, we've been told otherwise, and most of us don't question it. Yes. We don't stop to question this thing. But in the assembly, we're all equal. We're all, we're all brothers and sisters. We're all, you know, we're all in the same playing field. And that clergy laity thing, that separation is divisive, and it inhibits and prohibits spiritual giftedness from functioning as it should. Yeah, Jesus came to take all those layers away. That's right, and we're busy putting them back yeah. in. What did Jesus do? He came down, he's God himself, and he becomes a man just like you and I. Yeah. Just like us. Yeah. Why? Why did he do that? Because <laughs> he loves us. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. And he got right down on the level with us. And he meant for that to be that way for all time. He wasn't going to recreate a religious system with layers of priest and... That was already in place. Yeah, it sure was. And it distorted who he was. Jesus is the authentic God in the flesh. It's what he's like. It's who he really is. That's oh exactly gosh, right. What a kind... Amazing person. It took Jesus to reveal the Father to us, you know, because John said no one's seen God at any time, but Jesus has. And Jesus revealed the Father to us that we had misrepresented, we had misunderstood people, humanity, had misunderstood up until that time. Yes. Jesus revealed an, re revealed an, an Abba Father to us, one Amen. that we have a relationship with. Yeah. One that we're close to because, you know, Christ is in us and we're in Christ. Yeah. You don't Amen. get any closer than that. Yeah, he wanted to bring us, introduce yeah. us to our, our dad. Exactly. Gonna be, it was his dad, now it's our dad. That's right, that's right. I go to my God and to your God, he said, as he was about to ascend. You know, I'm, I'm, this is your deal too. You're in it. You're in it with me. And when Jesus was talking about his death, you know, he said, it, it's imperative that I go away because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit can't come. And when the Holy Spirit comes, it's going to be better. You know, here's Jesus right beside the apostles. I mean, he's right there with them. He's in the same room. He's, he's like you and I right now looking across the table. Yeah. I don't think they had microphones, but looking across the table, he's that close. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to go away, but it's going to be to your advantage that I go away. Why? Because when I go away, the Holy Spirit's going to come. No, I thought you said, is it going to be a preacher that comes? That's right. Is that what that's he... right. A preacher and a book. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You can't get a preacher and a book. <laughs> that's right. He said, you know, when I go away, the Holy Spirit's going to come, but the Holy Spirit's not going to be beside you. He's not going to be with you, he said. He's going to be in you. Amen. And man, what a difference. You oh, know, man. the Christ in you, the hope of glory. But when we get into systems like this, that gets obscured, that gets fuzzy, yeah. because all of a sudden it becomes about performance, it becomes about authority, it becomes about listening to and submitting to the authority that's in charge, and spiritual giftedness kind of just goes out the, the window, it, you know, it goes out the window, and 
you know, getting back to what you said earlier about, you know, the training in di- different theological settings, you know, I like to call that tribal doctrine, you know, and, and we have to line up with someone's tribal doctrine. But again, Paul said, I desire to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Amen. Wow. It's simple, yeah. Simple gospel. When I used to listen and sit under that type of teaching and, you know, hearing people that knew a lot, really didn't do a lot, it left me feeling inadequate, not enough. I did try to learn as much as they did, or, you know, I tried to study because, you know, I felt like, oh, wow, I got I got to get this. Got to catch up. Yeah, I catch up. But I remember being in situations where I needed Jesus to show up. Either I was talking to somebody about Jesus or I was in a difficult situation. And what would happen in those places where I have been under a certain kind of teaching, I'm thinking, boy, if only so-and-so was here. Oh, there you go. If only so-and-so was here, there you they go. would know what to say and do. The Bible answer man. Yeah, if only, <laughs> yeah. If if this person was here, they would know what to do in this situation. If this person, what have I done that I've left myself in that thinking and put myself in that place? You're not enough. Mm-hmm. When... When you discover Christ in you, you know that in any situation, you're always enough. That's right. Because Christ is in you. You're one with him. And at any point in time, he can tell you, he can supply to you the knowledge, the speaking, whatever it might be, the faith, the peace, the in love, the joy, whatever you need in that moment, he can supply that. Yeah. My adequacy is in his adequacy. And that is what true teaching would lead you to have confidence in Christ in you. That's what real teaching does. Real teaching always points you into your adequacy is in Jesus. Feel empowered by his life in you. Oh my gosh. And then you like that. I say, oh my gosh, a lot, but that's because I'm wowed by Jesus. Because I, I, as, as I'm speaking, telling you this, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, that's so true. <laughs> and then when it, when it nudges you toward Jesus like that, it doesn't then pile on a to-do list. Oh no. It doesn't say, okay, we're talking about Jesus. Now here's what you need to do. It nudges you toward Jesus and leaves you there. Because that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Because it's the Holy Spirit's job now to take that, message of Jesus to take that, you know, the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of his love for you, and do with you what he's going to do with you. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. That's not my job to give you, okay, here's five points of discipleship you need to get busy on right now. That isn't, that isn't the point. We don't preach Jesus plus something. Yeah. You know, it's Jesus plus nothing. And the most beautiful thing that we can do and the most helpful thing that we can do with people is is nudge them toward Jesus, give them a, a view of what Jesus is really like, and then just kind of let it sit there and Amen. see what God does. Because he's going to do something with it. He's going to do something with it. But that's up to him. Yeah. I'm not the Holy Spirit. That's beyond my pay grade, <laughs> you know? And I'm not going to get involved in that. But I see things like this, and man, it just, I have such a history of, of this the postcard thing. You know, and, and it just set off so many triggers and things I wanted to talk about with you today, you know, the, the preaching and, you know, the whole sermon thing, which really the sermon thing started to originate around 300 AD. And by, you know, 400, 450, it was solid, man. It was, it was there. I mean, 
the whole sermon thing that you know it came from Greek rhetoric, and people were getting saved out of those pagan cultures and bringing in these practices into the assembly and developing them further there. And you know that continued. That's church history. Well, we don't question that. We think again. We think this is normal. I got to do what pastor says. You know, and I don't know why again, it popped in my again, head, but question authority. No, I'm just teasing. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's the system. Yeah, yeah. No, it's I, the system that's killing us. Yeah. You know, question to know Jesus, to be, you, know, you want to, that's the important part is if you're not seeing that. Um, yeah, yeah. That's, you do want to question it. If it's not representative of who Jesus is, yeah, and it's not exactly. actually making exactly. him big in you. If it's not making Jesus big in you, then you want to question what you're hearing. That's exactly right. And and Christian, as we close, just a reminder, God has qualified you. The New Testament says you are qualified in this thing. You are qualified to, to speak about Jesus. You're qualified to to live a life uh, you know that's adequate right where you're at right now. Jesus has got you right where you need to be, and you're just free to be you. You can wake up in the morning and, and be you, whatever your personality is, whatever your quirks are. You get to just be you because, man, he's nuts about you. The Father is absolutely nuts about you, and and he's nuts about you. And the Father isn't looking at you through you know a Jesus lens or Jesus-filtered glasses. He's looking at you because he has made you righteous because of Jesus. He has made you clean. Jesus said, you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. He said that to the disciples. He wasn't talking about the Bible. He wasn't saying you're clean because I I recited scripture to you. He said, no, you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. And that word is the gospel, which is the word of Jesus. And Christian, God has made you clean. He's made you adequate. He's made you enough. And you don't need anyone to instruct you. If your journey is similar to ours and you are struggling with, wow, I'm in this system of church and I'm seeing things and I feel like I should leave, but I feel guilty, let me assure you that you're not alone, number one, and that Greg and I both have had those same questions, you know, as we questioned, well, do we leave? You know, what what do we do here? But if you're on that same journey and you feel like God's nudging you to leave or prompting you to leave, it's okay to leave. It's okay to leave that environment. You're not letting him down. It might be hard along the way. You might lose some relationships and friendships along the way. Most of us do because when you leave that environment, all of a sudden somehow you you become the enemy to that environment. And, you know, that's not good. But, man, you're free to go or you're free to stay if you're not on this same journey. You know, you're free to stay. I mean, the church Jesus is building is everywhere. It, it's all over the place. It's in every group and every location. It's huge. And Christian, you are adequate. You have become the righteousness of God in Christ. What does it say about something that has pressure to stay? There's pressure yeah. to be there. What does that say about something? Yeah, there when you there's go. that pressure. Because something that's attractive and life-giving, and amazing. You can't keep yourself from it. Christ is our life. And man, he is he is so beautiful and so attractive that I don't need to be scolded <laughs> or instructed on how to be there with him. Yeah. I, I wake up in the morning with him. Amen. You know? Anyway, we better close this thing up. It went a little bit longer than our normal 30 minutes that we're trying to keep things to. But y'all, thanks for uh, joining us. Mac, did you have anything further to say? 
That's a wrap. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> a Mac wrap. <laughs> right. So thanks all for uh, joining us. And our address, again, our web address is unsunday.com. We'd love to hear from you. There's a contact form there. Fill that baby out and send it to us, and we'll respond. So until next time, thanks, y'all. Bye. Thank you for joining us on the Unsunday Show. To be a part of this ongoing conversation, visit us online at unsunday.com. Mm-hmm.